Uh, if you've been here the last two months or so, you know that we've been a, in a series on the book of Revelation, where we looked at the seven letters to the churches at the start of that book. And <clears throat> I do have every intention of us continuing in Revelation. Pray for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that the, that will just be the first part of an ongoing series in that book. So, But uh, this morning, we're going to take a break from the Revelation series, and we're going to hear from guest speaker Carrie Burr, who some of you might remember uh, was with us back in March. So this is her second time at St. Paul's. Um, just to give you a little bit of background about Carrie, uh, she's on the preaching team at Hope Church in East Hampton. Uh, which is a church that I have some personal connections with. Um, she is a self-published author, and she is a, uh, a, a wife and a mother to three kids, uh, one of whom is adopted, right? And um, she, uh, she's a very thoughtful person. She is a, 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 a preacher's kid, right? Daughter of a pastor. So, um, and she is uh, excited to be with us this morning. So why don't we uh, welcome her? Good morning, everyone. I'm really excited to be back here, and I just love the atmosphere here and how gracious you guys are. Last time, I confessed that I'm an extrovert, and many of you said that you're introverts, and yet you still accepted me just for who I am. So thank you so much for that. Um, so I'm going to pray, and we'll get started here. God, I, I just thank you for this amazing group of people. I thank you, God, that that when I worship you in my home and when I worship you here, you're the same God. And I, I just um, thank you for the body of Christ that is so much bigger than we realize and for these brothers and sisters here. And I ask God that everything that I say, um, that you just filter through your spirit and that people would hear exactly what they need to hear. I'm just praying your freedom over us today. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So I have a question for you as this morning. Uh, first of all, I need to let you know that Caleb gave me a dangerous tool here. This is supposed to be the clicker for the, the slides, but I may, this may be something that he regrets giving me, so we'll see. We'll have to bear with me. Um, but my question, how many of you are sleepwalkers? Anyone? Or, do you, or maybe you don't realize you're a sleepwalker. That's very possible. And maybe you're someone who has witnessed sleepwalkers. Raise your hand if you're that person. Huh? See, a few of you. Okay. I know that's very terrifying to watch someone sleepwalk. Um, I have definitely been a sleepwalker more in the past, like when I was in junior high and high school. And I remember one specific time when I was on a youth trip, when I was in middle school, I think, uh, junior high, right around that time. And we stayed overnight at a hotel. And I think whenever I would stay somewhere that I was not used to, that would kind of be a trigger for me. So I was staying in this hotel with my friend and my friend's mom. And at some point in the middle of the night, I thought that I was locked outside of the hotel room. And I mean, it was dark, it was scary. I was, you know, 13, I don't know. So I was convinced that I was locked out and was just like feeling around, trying to find the handle and getting more and more panicked. And then slowly I started to wake up and I realized at some point that I was actually not locked out of my hotel room. No, in fact, I was in the hotel closet. Yes, like an idiot, feeling my way around and, and super panicking. And when I finally realized where I actually was and I turned around and my bed was right there, I had such this incredible sense of relief and freedom. And I lay down and I had like the best sleep after that. It was amazing. 
And I really believe that this is the freedom that God wants for each and every one of us today. See, whenever we're believing something that goes against God, that goes against his heart, we're going to find ourselves enslaved in some way. We're going to find ourselves trapped. But the truth is that the enemy can't really keep us trapped. And when we're, when we're living in those kinds of shackles, it's really like I was in that, in that hotel closet. It can't actually hold me. It can't actually keep us trapped because God's power is stronger. And so God actually wants to wake us up to his truth. He wants to wake us up to who he is because when we walk in his truth, we are free. The Bible says, Jesus says that, um, that he is the way and the truth and the life. And so when we come to Jesus, when we come to him as the truth, he says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we have to have that personal encounter with Jesus and we have to walk with him because he wants to remind us of his truth. And this is so important because we have an enemy and our enemy likes to masquerade as an angel of light, right? And so he likes to, he likes to plant these seeds in our hearts and, and make us believe certain things that are not true. And what I've noticed about the enemy is that a lot of the lies that we end up believing are very subtle, right? In fact, sometimes they sound a lot like the truth, and so we, we don't realize that we're, that we're trapped in this lie because it sounds so believable. It sounds so much like the truth. And so I want to just talk today about, um, about God's redemption for us and a couple lies that we may be believing in relation to God's redemption. And I just want to talk about those so that we can really ask God to show us if we're walking in those lies and be free from them and walk in freedom. So I want to talk today about how God's redemption for us is final. It is, it's complete on the cross, but it is also a daily thing that we experience. And my, my passage today is going to be uh, Hebrews 11, or sorry, Hebrews 10, 14. And just to set this up, this is referring to the sacrifices that the, the priests in the Old Testament would have to come and, and daily give sacrifices for the people. So the verses before this one, it says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And then verse 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And I want to focus on this, that verse for a minute because this verse seems to have a little bit of a conundrum or a little bit of a tension in it. And so we have to explore that tension if we're going to understand the fullness of God's redemption. So on the one hand, this verse says that God's sacrifice has made us perfect forever. And this, this is true, right? We, we know that when Christ died on the cross, that was a final act for us. It did away with all of those previous daily sacrifices that the priests needed to make because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And through his death on the cross, we know that we have access to him, that we can approach his throne with freedom and confidence. There is no, no barrier between us. Um, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, right? Neither height nor depth, nor angels nor demons, nothing because of Christ's sacrifice. It was final. But at the same time, the second half of this verse might be a little perplexing because it says, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So if we're perfect forever, how is it that we're, that we're still being made holy? And I think we have to talk about this tension to understand, again, the fullness of God's redemption because even though Christ died for us and even though his redemption is final and does not need anything to be added to it, 
um, there's a very real sense that we still live in a kind of death. We still live in, in sin. And even though through Christ's death, God sees us through the lens of Christ and he sees us as, as perfect, we still wrestle with our daily, our daily ongoing struggles. And God is continuing to make us holy. And really, I believe his redemption, we might think that we're shrinking it if we say that God's redemption is, is not just a one-time thing. But truly, I believe that we're actually expanding it and we're, we're seeing a fuller picture of God's gospel when we realize that it was not just a, a one-time event, but that God's redemption walks with us daily through everything that we face. So first of all, what happens if we have too small an image of God's redemption and we don't realize that it's final? I believe that whenever we feel like we have to add to God's redemption, that it's not really final, then we find ourselves walking in self-righteousness. We find ourselves kind of trying to earn God's redemption. And I, I like to think of it this way. Um, when we try to act like God's redemption for us isn't full or complete, it's almost like, imagine you had this great benevolent uncle who offered to pay for your college tuition or your child's college tuition. And he's like, all right, great. You know what? You're, you, you have this college you want to go to, whatever college you want to great, I will pay for your whole way, no need to worry about a thing. And you'd be thinking, great, this is, this is amazing. I don't deserve this. I can't, I can't afford it. So this is, this is an incredible act of grace. But what if your uncle also told you, all right, I'm going to pay for college, but only if you get straight A's the whole time you're there. Well, it's still a gift. It's still grace. It's still something you can't afford. But now you feel like you have to maintain something to, to get that from God, or for, to get that in this, in this story from your uncle. Um, and I think sometimes that's kind of how we live our lives with God. When we don't really trust that his redemption for us is final on the cross, then we can feel like we have to still do something. We, have to, we, we might start trusting in our own morality um, to, to make us feel like we're righteous, to make us feel like we, we still earn God's forgiveness or his grace. And when we do that, again, we're, we're totally running around treating God's, God's heart for us like a to-do list. And God says all along, I, I've already paid the way and I want you to rest in me. And Pastor Ryan reminded me, it's not that God is opposed to our effort. God, God does rescue us because he wants us to be obedient, because he wants us to surrender, and because he does want to make us holy. So acting on that, acting in faith and being obedient to Christ is a good thing. But as a quote from Dallas Willard that, that Ryan shared with me says, uh, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude and effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins. And I love that. I really feel like it ties in so well. Um, when we have an attitude of effort, that, an attitude that says, I still have to earn something from God. Um, it reminds me a little bit also of that movie. Have you ever seen The Little Giants? Maybe I'm dating myself. It's a long time ago. Um, but it's a movie about a girl who, 11, 11 years old maybe, she wants to play football and she wants to join the local football team. And she tries out and she's really good, but they won't let her play because she's a girl. And so her dad decides to start his own league and his own team, basically. And he's like, whoever didn't make the cut for the official team, you can be on my team. And so his daughter is on his team and all these other, you know, it's just this like ragtag bunch of kids. And one of the kids that joins the team is Jack. And Jack here, this is not a great image, but he is, you know, he's scrawny. He's kind of just 
always a little sickly. He's got a cold like perpetually and he's an only child and his mom is so worried that he is going to get hurt while he's playing football. So at one point during practice, he shows up in this like whatever we want to call that. I mean, uh, foam, duct tape kind of hack job. And I laugh because when he gets to practice, he tells the coach, you know, the coach has padding for them. The coach has protective wear for them. And he says, my mom says the padding you gave me isn't enough. <laughs> and so I think, though, that this is kind of, kind of the picture that we say to God when we act like we need to add to his righteousness. Isn't it kind of like we're showing up and we're like, the padding you gave me is not enough. And so I'm going to try to wear my own righteousness and you know, the funny thing is, first of all, we look ridiculous when we do that, right? Because our righteousness, God says, is like filthy rags. Like we, we can't be righteous apart from him. And the other thing is, look, again, we're not free. When we're trying to add to God's redemption, it's cumbersome. We're, we have to like do all these things and make a checklist and it's, and it's not freedom. It's not the freedom that God wants for us. And so he doesn't want us to live in the attitude of effort. He wants us to walk in his freedom and know for, for sure to have that assurance that our redemption in him is final and complete. On the other hand, sometimes we view God's redemption as too small by not recognizing that it's really meant to be an ongoing thing. Um, I know for myself, um, Ryan mentioned that I, I'm a pastor's kid and I grew up in the church. And one thing that I started to realize when I grew up in the church is that, you know, I'd hear people share their, their stories of coming to faith and a lot of times it sounded like a before and after, like this really clean cut before and after. So if you've seen like extreme home makeover or something, you know, like before, before I knew God, people would say, oh, I was addicted and I was, I was, you know, I had all these issues and I was throwing rocks at squirrels and I was just <laughs> horrible things, right? And then after I knew God, after I, after I accepted him, I was, I was good. All these things in my life were cleaned up. And I want to be so careful here because I do believe that we have a God that when we turn to him, that he radically changes us. And I do believe that our lives should look radically different when we choose to follow God. Um, but for myself, I started to feel like something was wrong. Like, you know, I, I accepted Christ when I was very young. So my before and after was not that, there was not a whole lot of contrast for me. And I felt like, I felt like, you know, everyone else has this healing, redemptive story, but but I'm just struggling. Like, like, I believe in Jesus and I follow him, but I still have these, these sins that I'm carrying around, these struggles that, I, that I'm dealing with. And it's, does that mean something's wrong with me because, because I'm still wrestling? And I really believe that this is where we have to understand God's daily redemption for us because God knows God knows that we're not yet holy and he knows that this side of heaven, we always are going to have room to grow but he wants us to walk with him. And he wants us to walk with him daily. And I think sometimes God actually allows us to have these wrestles because he knows that we desperately need to rely on him in the midst of those broken places. God is daily redeeming us. And our job is to daily surrender. Making sure we're on track here. I don't think that we like daily. I know for myself, I don't like daily. I don't like to have to trust in somebody or something daily. And yet, I feel like God over and over gives us this picture of daily in the Bible. Um, for instance, he talks about daily bread. When he teaches us how to pray, he says, give us today our daily bread. 
And I'm, you know, I'm a mom of three. I, I have no concept of daily bread because when I go to the grocery store, you better believe I'm going to stock up for like at least a week worth of stuff for my kids because they go through food like nobody's business. Um, so daily is weird for me. Like to have to trust for something food-wise, like daily would be so weird for me. Um, and it actually reminds me this his his command to us to pray for daily bread. It reminds me of the Old Testament and the Israelites when they were in had just been brought out of slavery. God, God had rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. And then they're, they're in the wilderness and they're wandering and they're, they're starting to get hungry and thirsty and they're a little bit desperate. And they cry out to God and he provides them with daily bread. He provides them with manna in the desert. But what's interesting is Moses tells the, the people when, the, when they first see this like wafer-like substance that would show up every morning on the ground, um, he would say, okay, go out and gather enough, enough bread for one day but don't take extra, because if you take extra, that anything you save till the next day is going to be like completely inedible by the next day. But of course, they didn't all listen. And so some of the people took not just enough for one day, but enough for the next day too. And sure enough, they woke up the next day and those, the, the extra bread was covered in maggots. Like it was completely disgusting and inedible. And what I think is fascinating is that the Israelites trusted God for the big miracle. Like they just witnessed him providing for them in this miraculous way. And yet they couldn't trust him to do it again and again and again. And God, I think, knew their hearts and and wanted them to learn to just trust in him, trust in him, not just for the big miracle, but for the daily. And again, this goes into our, our story of redemption. God wants us to trust him. How often do we say, okay, God, I believe that you saved me. I believe in your salvation. I believe you rescued me. But I don't know about I don't know about rescuing me today. Like I don't know about about whether you can redeem my brokenness today in this moment. And God's like, if you trusted me for that big miracle, trust me for the daily as well, because I see you and I want to make you holy and I want to grow your heart. You gotta walk with me. And I think Sometimes, again, those daily ongoing struggles are a constant reminder to us that we really do need God. Because if we didn't, if we, if we got to the place where we were self-sufficient, how easy would it be for us just to walk away from God, from the God who loves us and made us? And that's also what happened to the Israelites. Hosea 13, 5 through 6, this is God talking, and he says to the Israelites, I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied, and they, when they were satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. And God does not want us to forget him. He does not want us to forget that relationship with him that we so desperately need because we're going to rely on something and he wants it to be him. I know for myself, um, one of the hard things for me is, is not just that I struggle every day, but that I have some struggles that seem to come up an awful lot in my life. If you ask my husband, I have certain things I keep circling back around to, whether it's, whether it's pride or whether it's anger or jealousy, whatever these things are. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get to a place in my life where I think, God, by now, I really should have been past this. Like, I really feel like we should have moved beyond whatever maturity level I'm at, and I should be free from this. Um, and I know one of those areas is anger for me. And I shared last time I was here that I really thought I was a pretty good Christian until I had kids. And then I realized, no, it's not true. I, I'm a horrible person. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, kids just bring out all that. They just know all the buttons to push, and it's, it's not good. But none of them are here, so I can say all this to you. But um, I love my kids. They're great. Um, 
but I feel like uh, when I first wrote this message, I, had, I was in one of those places where I was like, I really feel like I've gotten past some of this anger. Like, I really feel like maybe I've just, you know, I don't know, God's just healed me of this and it's all good. And then that same week, my son was not listening to me when I told him to go to bed. And I got so angry at one point that I threatened to decapitate his stuffed animal. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like, this is, this is, this is honest here. So, um, and I know that's a funny one because I... There, there are times with my, with my anger or with my lack of trust in God that I, I just hit that brokenness. And maybe you have that place in your life that just feels so raw because you're like, I don't know, this, this should be better. I shouldn't be struggling with this. And it feels like a death. It feels like we're still living in that death. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. He shares his own struggle that's so relatable. This is one of those moments with Paul that I'm like, thank God you wrote this because I so need this uh, to know I'm not alone. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he talks about this, this ongoing battle, this ongoing struggle we have. Our, God sees our hearts. He knows our desire is to please him, right? He sees that about us. But, but he also knows that we have this, this enemy that, again, wants to take us prisoner. We see that language again, uh, that wars against our mind, making us prisoners. But God rescues us, and it is that relationship with him, it is that ongoing walk with him that he wants to redeem us, and he wants um, to continue to make us more holy and refine us. I don't know if you've heard of the band Reliant K, again, from you know a while back, so I'm dating myself, but uh, one of their songs is um, Never Underestimate My Jesus. It's For the Moments I Feel Faint. And the, the verse at first says, you know, am I at the point of no improvement? What of the death that I still dwell in? I try to excel, but I feel no movement. And can I be free of this unreleasable sin? And then the chorus says, never underestimate my Jesus. And this is the place where we have to get to. We have to get to this place where we understand that God is the one who redeems us, not just finally, not just that one time on the cross, but daily, that he's big enough to take whatever brokenness we have and redeem it. Um, and, and this is especially important, too, because you know what? When we're stepping out to follow God, I think one of my biggest fears as a Christian is that I'm going to make a mistake, that somehow in the pursuit of following God that I'm going to fall, that I'm going to make a mistake. But the truth is that we have to understand that, that God is big enough to redeem even those mistakes we make in pursuit of his heart. We're human. We are going to stumble. We are going to fall. But his grace catches us there. And I just want to say, as I, as I kind of wrap up here, I think there's some of us who are carrying around 
the additional burden of, of shame and guilt about something maybe that you're carrying today, some brokenness that you just feel like, you know, I believe that God saved me. I believe he died for me. I know he loves me. I know he forgives me. But I don't know that he can redeem this brokenness. And maybe we're not even worried about just our past brokenness, but we're worried about our present brokenness. And we think, I don't know. I don't think God can actually do something powerful with this. And what the enemy wants to whisper to us is, that's right, just sit down, stay put, don't step out, don't follow me, don't take a risk, because you're going to screw up, because God can't use you, because you're too far gone. And God says, no, that is not true. God says, do not listen to those enemies' lies, because I absolutely can redeem whatever brokenness you have when you turn to me and when you surrender to me. Because again, he daily redeems us. Our job is simply to daily surrender to him. And I want to leave you with a couple of reminders of God's powerful redemption. Uh, two stories actually from the life of King David. And David um, was you know, a king in the Old Testament. He was, he was someone who was referred to as a man after God's own heart. And so he loved God deeply. But, but David was also a man who committed several sins that were like we look at and we think this was ridiculous. This was a big, this was a big deal. Uh, one of those sins is... Um, that maybe not many people know as well was from First Chronicles 21, and it's the story of when David decided to count the fighting men. And you might think, well, it's not really that big of a deal to count the fighting men. Like, if he's the king, shouldn't he know how much, how what the size of his army is? That just seems kind of like standard kingship 101. Um, but the point was that God was the one that had given them security. God was the one who had gone before them and was fighting for them. And he wanted David to trust in him and not in his own strength. And so when David chose to, uh, to do this, this was an act of, of really him saying, I don't, I don't trust. I want to I trust in my own strength. And it's interesting if you read the whole story, which I won't get into, um, but God actually gives David, he says, I'm going to punish you. And you can, you can have your choice of like three punishments like which flavor do you want and at first I thought well that'd be kind of cool to be able to pick your own punishment but then I thought no I don't want I don't want that power that's that's like that's a little too much um but David he gets to decide and he ends up deciding that he's going to uh, he says I'd rather fall into the hands of the living God so I'm going to choose the the punishment that um where God God was going to send a plague on the people and so people were dying they were they were being destroyed. And at one point, David gets to this point where he is just so overwhelmed with his own sin and, and he repents and he's like, God, they do not deserve to die for my sin. And so he goes to God and he, and he, um, he confesses his sin and God relents and God stops the disaster. And when he does this, they're at the, uh, the threshing floor of, I'm going to mispronounce this name maybe, Arowana. Is that right? Okay, we'll look, we'll look it up later. We don't know. But, um, so they're at this threshing floor of this man, and David says, listen, I want to I take this plot of land, and I want to I build a sacrifice to God here. Um, and the man says, you know what? I Just take it. You can have it. I don't, you know, whatever. And David says, no, no, listen, this, I, I'm not going to offer a sacrifice to God that doesn't cost me something. And so he pays full price for that, for that threshing floor. And he worships God there, and he sets up this, this sacrifice to him. Um, and that's where the angel of death stopped and the, the killing ended. But if that were me, if, the, if that were me and I were in David's shoes, every time I passed by that site, I think that would just be this reminder of my brokenness. That would be like this reminder where the enemy would just say, see, remember that thing you did? Remember how, like, what a terrible person you were? And I feel like it would just be this constant reminder of my brokenness. But what is absolutely incredible to me is that this very site that represents David's sin is the very same site where Solomon, his son, ends up building the temple for God. 
And to me, that's such a powerful way of God saying, you know what? The sight of our death, the sight that looks like your greatest suffering, your greatest, sorry, your greatest screw up is actually a place that I can build something powerful on top of. So never underestimate my Jesus. And the second, the second sin that, you know, many of us probably know about David's life is his affair with Bathsheba. And the story is that he, you know, sees her on the roof and he's attracted to her and she's already married, but he doesn't care. So he ends up, he ends up inviting her to the castle and they, they sleep together. And then he finds out that she's pregnant. And so he has her husband killed and then he takes her to, to, to be his wife. And so it's this whole like messy series of, of failures that, that David commits. But again, David, David does experience consequences for that. The, the, the son that he and Bathsheba had through that relationship at first, that son dies. And so there is this consequence that David faces, but he repents and he returns to God. And what is absolutely amazing to me, someone was reminding me that, you know, we're coming up on the Advent season. We're coming up on, on this season when Jesus, we celebrate Jesus coming into the world and living here among us. But Jesus actually came through the lineage of not just David, but David and Bathsheba. And again, I'm like, okay, God, you know, if, if, if we ever think, if we ever get to the place where we think our brokenness is too much, I think these are such powerful reminders that God, God does not look at our brokenness and say the end, right? The period does not go there until, until he writes the ending at the end of time. Whatever brokenness or whatever you're facing right now, God can powerfully work in that. He can powerfully redeem that. And I just want to encourage you with that. 1 Peter 1, 3-6 gives us this insight into, into this new birth that God is giving us. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. I love that line. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And this verse reminds us at the end that we do have trials, we do have this suffering, this daily death that we walk in, but thanks to God and his mercy and through Jesus Christ, we have that living hope and we have a new birth. And it's really this image of not just God's resurrection when he came to earth and died and, and was resurrected, but this daily resurrection that he's bringing about in us. Um, there's my, my daughter likes to watch the Harry Potter movies and she's read all the books. She's like 10 years old, but she's, she loves it. And there's a, um, the phoenix bird in there that I think is from Greek mythology. But this bird, when it gets old and dies, it, it turns into ashes. And then the, the new bird actually is birthed through those ashes. Like the new bird comes from the death of the old. And I, I just think that's the powerful picture of what God wants to do in us daily. In the middle of this daily death, God is taking us and he is redeeming us. And it is such a beautiful thing. And so I just want to leave us there that God does not want just our perfection. He, he wants us to be holy, but he wants to, us to trust him to make us holy. He's not surprised by our weakness and he longs to free us and walk with us. And so I just want to ask you, what, what does God want to do? in the surrendered soil of your life? What does God want to redeem in that soil? God, 
thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you are always so much bigger than we imagine. Um, I, God, I pray that we would not keep you small, that we would not shrink or diminish your redemption or your gospel in our lives. And God, I'm just praying for incredible freedom over each of us, that wherever we're living um, trapped, wherever we're feeling trapped by the enemy's lies, God, that you would speak into our hearts and you'd free us. And I pray that as we leave today, God, that we would have an incredible sense of, of freedom in you and what you've done for us. Amen.